Hi, this is Jerry DiPiano from Fem Pharma, and you are listening or viewing the Love Mia Vita podcast. Today, I am here with my co-host, Dr. Catherine Sharif. And Dr. Sharif, please share with our viewers and our listeners a little bit more about your background. So for those that haven't had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Sharif, like you to learn, learn more about her and the substantial background that she brings to these podcasts. Um, Jerry, thank you for the introduction. So I'm an internist in Philadelphia at Thomas Jefferson University. I'm a professor of medicine and vice chair of academic affairs in the Department of Medicine. I've had a lifelong interest in women's health and was an activist before coming to medical school and have uh, worked in education, research, and now clinical care uh, for women. Excellent. So Dr. Sharif, we are so excited. I'm so, so excited to have you as my co-host on the Love Me Vita podcast. And we have discussed in the past wide ranging number of topics from women's reproductive health issues to metabolic issues, and some things that are in some things in between. So at the intersection. And today, we're going to have a conversation about sleep. Uh, we've done this in the past. So for those of you that may not have listened in on our podcast on sleep, you may want to check out uh, part one, uh, which took place a while ago. But this is really focusing on sleep and chronic illness. So when we think about chronic illness, among chronic illnesses, we think about things like the autoimmune diseases, and we think about cardiovascular diseases. We also think about cancer as a chronic disease because we're living longer with different types of malignancies. And there are ways in which we can do a better job of living our best lives. Because Catherine is board certified in internal medicine and has experience more globally in women and women's health care, she's uniquely qualified to have this conversation. We're going to have a conversation about the bi-directional nature of the impact of sleep on chronic illness and chronic illness on sleep. So with that, um, this is sleep is a huge problem for the population and even more so for women. I think the statistics were something like 50% of individuals suffer from some type of sleep disorder. And for women, it becomes compounded by hormonal changes. So it's no secret that women are the primary sufferers of sleep disorders. And then we look at diseases and disorders that disproportionately affect women, like the autoimmune diseases, like breast and, and certain reproductive cancers. So this is really a conversation we need to be having. Yes. Uh, it's surprising uh, knowing that so many people have sleep disorders, of maybe 30% worldwide, 40 to 50% um, in in uh, other regions uh, like the U.S., it's surprising that we have so little research um, on sleep. It's surprising that we don't really understand the role of sex hormones, particularly when they have such an impact on women at puberty, pregnancy, 
perimenopause and so on. And those are not diseases, those are natural processes. And we don't even understand how sleep uh, affects those, uh, those areas. Then there's these paradoxical effects where testosterone may help with sleep, but testosterone is also associated with sleep apnea, particularly when women have high testosterone levels. So there's so much that we don't understand about sleep, and it is profoundly important. I think it is uh, like exercise and nutrition. Uh, it's one of the top three things we need to do to maintain good health. Um, but people don't take it seriously, and there's not enough research about it. And then we're not even talking, we're not even getting to the point where we're talking when you're chronically ill and how hard that is on people uh, on the quality of their sleep. So when we think about the sex-based differences that impact sleep, we, we think about, could think about perimenopausal women and women who are entering menopause or who are menopausal. And that's a pretty obvious one, but let's be honest it affects women at a younger age. So it affects women who are menstruating and during their menstrual cycle, there can be profound differences in sleep. So young girls that are going through puberty can begin to experience these sleep problems. We can think about women during pregnancy. And it's not just because they are very pregnant and perhaps uncomfortable, but even at the very early stages of pregnancy, when sleep is disrupted and insomnia can be a real significant issue for those those individuals and of course postpartum we have other we have other matters to deal with you know maybe it's a child waking up every two to three hours for feeding and in between not having the woman not having the opportunity to sleep for stress reasons of stress or perhaps work-related issues and so forth so women really are experiencing more of these sleep disorders than men and we really need to pay attention to that as we think about what's the best way to address these types of issues. And we're going to, we're going to cover all of that um, during this podcast and provide some recommendations because our goal is not just to inform you about the problem, but really to think about the solution, right? So at the end, we're going to give you some tips on how to think about getting better sleep and how to work through some of these challenges. So when we when we think about the different um, issues impacting sleep, we talked about what we, we've already discussed, which is the hormonal changes that occur. But what happens when, what does sleep do to the rest of our bodies? So we, when we start to experience difficulty sleeping and we when we have either disrupted sleep or we can't fall asleep or we don't have high quality sleep. Let's talk about the impact on the development of certain diseases. And, and we can look at cardiovascular, we can look at diabetes, we can, all the metabolic issues that you know sleep impacts. And, and you're an expert in this area. So perhaps we can talk a little bit about that. And then I wanna get into the conversation on cancer. Sure. So we know that sleep dis, uh, sleep disorders uh, disproportionately affect women compared to men who are the same age. And we know that when you don't sleep, uh, well, the, the function of sleep is to restore health to your brain and to your body. And 
when you don't sleep, you don't restore health, and you, you become at greater risk for metabolic and uh, disorders and cardiac disorders. Mm -hmm. For example, sometimes my patients don't understand if they're doing everything right, why aren't they losing weight? And one of the reasons may be that they don't get enough sleep. If you don't sleep seven to nine hours a night, you become insulin resistant. If you are insulin resistant, you require more insulin to metabolize your food. You end up metabolizing your food, but you've had so much insulin hanging around when it's the most potent growth hormone in the body that you gain weight. So unless you take your sleep seriously, and sleep seven to nine hours consistently, not once in a while, you will be unable to lose weight. And then when you are insulin resistant, that really, uh, that leads to a whole host of other problems. You know, we talk, we even look at things, you know, from the standpoint of how it impacts our HDL, the good cholesterol and the LDL, which is low density lipoprotein or the bad cholesterol and the triglycerides. Yes. It also impacts these other markers of health. So tell us about a little bit about that. Yeah. So when you, um, part of the mechanism for affecting, uh, that leads to problems with lipids, um, is through the mechanism of insulin resistance. And so, as you said, uh, your triglycerides and LDL, the two bad types of cholesterol go up and the HDL, the good cholesterol goes down. When the triglycerides and LDL go up, you can begin to form plaques um, in your coronary arteries or in your brain uh, leading to dementia and to coronary artery disease. So cardiovascular disease, so we're talking about diabetes, and we know diabetes does have an impact on cardiovascular disease. So they, I hate to say it, but you know we have that, you know, that hand in glove relationship that often occurs yes. because of the weight gain. You mentioned the change in the triglyceride profile, the formation of plaques. And let's talk about cardiovascular disease and lack of sleep and, and mortality, which is, you know, you're, you know, potentially, you know, shortening your lifespan. Yes. So with a lack of sleep, um, you do shorten your lifespan. Um, one way um, that's well known is if you don't sleep, uh, maybe due to sleep apnea, so you, you uh, stop breathing many times during the night, what happens is um, the right side of your heart can get bigger and bigger and bigger and you eventually get heart failure. And when you have heart failure, it's easier to have sudden death because what happens is um, the pacemaker for the heart, you have the pacemaker, you have the electrical conduction system through the heart. What happens with a, a large heart is it's ir easily irritated and can go into an abnormal heart rhythm and, and cause sudden death. And all of this can be silent and you can trace it all back to a lack of sleep. And we often think about what is the leading cause of death among women. And although there is a significant amount of conversation around cancer and breast cancer, it actually is not the leading cause of death in women. It's cardiovascular disease. And it can be a silent killer in women. And why? We can go back to what we shared early on in this conversation. We were left, we women were left out of the equation 
when we did most of the research um, into these areas, when we looked at things like hypertension, women were left out of the clinical trials. They were left out of the basic research. By the way, did you know that women were oftentimes, or I should say female rodents, females in the preclinical phase of development were left out of the equation. So not much is known. And then women present differently than men when they are experiencing some of these cardiovascular symptoms. So we really have to be our best advocate when it comes to dealing with these, what I would call silent killers. And with a lack of information and data, we have to be even more vigilant. And I know I'm speaking to the converted, but Catherine, you and I are both activists. I was an activist long before I ever started Fem Pharma. Yes, yes. So it's sobering to realize that one out of two women who are either listening or watching today um, will die of heart disease or stroke. One out of two. Um, 50%. And so when you, um, when you think about ways in which to mitigate that, as much as it may sound trivial, getting better sleep, thinking about your sleep is one way to take better care of yourself. Yeah. And, when you're and when you monitor your sleep, your quality of sleep, perhaps it would be helpful to do a, a diary and to determine whether you're waking up in the middle of the night or whether you're having difficulty falling asleep or whether you are having disrupted sleep because you have a partner that snores. Yes. Yes. So you need to pay attention uh, to your symptoms and document them. And um, it would be helpful to see a sleep specialist or speak to your internist or family medicine doctor. And you don't want to say, I just have insomnia. Uh, the things we want to know are, does it take you a long time to fall asleep or do you fall asleep within 15 minutes or do you fall asleep within five minutes, which tells us you're really sleep deprived and that's also important information or does it take a long time? So that's sleep latency. How long does it take you to fall asleep? Then the second uh, important thing to know is, um, do you stay asleep? And um, once you fall asleep, do you stay asleep or do you get up? How many times do you get up? Uh, and is it that you get up to go to the bathroom or is it that you get up and you say, well, I'm up, I might as well go to the bathroom. Um, that's, that's really important to know. Um, has anyone told you that they see you stop breathing or hear you stop breathing during the night? Or do you snore very loudly? Or do you startle yourself and wake up? And all sleep problems are not sleep apnea, but sleep apnea is something we can treat. So we should stay vigilant about our sleep. I believe that's the message. We should stay vigilant about it because the sleep apnea can also lead to other problems, which you've described, which which are car maybe cardiovascular, yeah. or it could be issues with your lungs. It could be, but it could be just as basic as stress. And we know that stress and depression can also contribute. And we know that mental health issues are chronic illnesses that need to be addressed. Um, they, you know, they're oftentimes not, uh, we don't pay enough attention to them, yeah. but if you are chronically depressed, if you have anxiety, 
that's going to disrupt your sleep or interrupt your sleep. We need to think about those things when we when we have our conversations with our either mental health professional or internal medicine specialist. But it's important to take that into consideration. Yeah. Then we have a disorder, um, and I hate to keep using disease because sometimes these are disorders and we talk about autoimmune conditions and women tend to be disproportionately affected by, by the autoimmune diseases and disorders. You look at things like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, uh, sarcoidosis. So, you know, those are the, th the three that come top to mind um, because they, they seem to be very prevalent, but we can also look at things like Sjogren's syndrome and the manifestations thereof. And those are conditions that also have an impact on our sleep for a variety of reasons. So perhaps we can just, you know, briefly describe what happens when you have an autoimmune disease and maybe talking about therapy that can interfere with sleep. Sure. So we know that um, autoimmune diseases are associated with disruptive sleep, and it can be for several reasons. The most obvious reason would be chronic pain, but it's more than chronic pain because you can have your pain controlled and still have poor sleep um, for reasons we don't understand. You can also have poor sleep from the medications that are used to treat uh, autoimmune disease. And then what's hard is that autoimmune diseases and lack of sleep are both associated with anxiety or depression. And then if you don't sleep, that amplifies anxiety or depression. Um, so it can be a vicious cycle. So these are these are things that co-occur. Um, I would use, you know, they can be comorbid conditions um, and we don't know what, what came first, right? So it's possible that stress, we know that stress will exacerbate pretty much everything. So if you have stress and anxiety, mm -hmm. if you have a predisposition or if you have one autoimmune disease, another one can present itself and it can be a cascade. And we know that stress exacerbates autoimmune diseases. So we have to be mindful of those sorts of things and also mindful of our therapy. And that's, by the way, not meant to discourage anyone who has a condition to discontinue using whatever therapy has been recommended, but it's more to be vigilant about its impact on your overall well-being because perhaps there are other strategies that can be employed that would help you to lessen their impact on sleep. So we think about one in particular, which is prednisone, right? Mm -hmm. uh, steroids are often used to address autoimmune diseases, but we also know that prednisone has the effect of interrupting or causing di difficulty sleeping. And that, that may be something to visit or revisit with your healthcare practitioner, your rheumatologist, to try to determine whether there are different options that, that could facilitate sleep. Um, sure. And maybe the steroids are helping you, but at a lower dose, you may not have the effect of staying of insomnia. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. We we often also think about related issues and related issues, um, which are, are issues like um, just the general stresses of life, and we can't underestimate um, the impact of major depressive disorder, which does affect 
more women. Um, Two thirds of depressed persons happen to be women. And looking at the types of products that are recommended to you for your, um, your, your issues with anxiety and depression, that could also help you to manage sleep. So think about ways in which to discuss these with your therapist, uh, your psychiatrist, to find the best option for you. Um, be careful to look at the side effect profile for these products because some may be energizing. So if you're depressed and you're using an antidepressant that may provide you with more energy, it may also have the opposite effect, which is to say that it may interrupt your sleep. Yes. Again, there are some options that one might consider. Now, we know that when one is diagnosed with a malignancy, um, and we'll talk about breast cancer in particular, breast cancer diagnosis can be a very frightening diagnosis. And this is one where we're going to spend a little bit more time because we know that there are a number of women who are probably listening to this who are either at risk, who have had a diagnosis of breast cancer, and who are living longer with breast cancer. And so let's talk about what happens when women receive that diagnosis and maybe a little bit about the journey and how to manage sleep during the journey. Sure. So uh, when you receive the diagnosis of breast cancer, of course, there's a huge amount of anxiety and uncertainty. And then depending on what kind of treatment you have, you may have side effects from the treatment, uh, whether uh, it's uh, surgery, radiation, or chemotherapy. Uh, remember that we are shutting down your estrogen uh, when you have breast cancer because um, many or most breast cancers are fueled by estrogen. Once we, uh, you know, once the estrogen is shut down, that will even uh, more exacerbate um, insomnia. And so we know that um, not just for cancer or, or specifically breast cancer, but for many things, um, some of the ways to treat insomnia are to, uh, uh, number one, exercise. And some people find exercise in the evening stimulating and it keeps them up. Other people, um, it helps them wind down. Um, and I strongly recommend exercise um, and especially move it to the morning if you find that exercise actually keeps you from sleeping because it's just too stimulating. Some people find um, essential oils, uh, aromatherapy, uh, to be helpful, uh, to sleep, especially, uh, using something soothing like, uh, lavender, uh, for example, lavender oil. Um, another thing that works very well, and almost all of us have access to this is, uh, to have uh, sound, uh, a, like a sound machine, um, but you can use your phone and you can download sounds like rain or uh, the beach and waves and so on. And that continuous sound, you may have found that it helps babies and it can also help us. Uh, so those are three ways that you can help help you get to sleep without using medications. And when we, when we think about pharmacology, we know that, that because we, 
any of us that have had any kind of chronic illness may be frustrated by using only pharmacologic therapy. Mm -hmm. we, want to, we, we want to be mindful of some of what Catherine suggested because it's not pharmacologic therapy. These are different strategies that one can undertake. There's also the, um, the opportunity to consider cognitive behavioral therapy, which at least from all the research that is available, suggests that cognitive behavioral therapy may be particularly helpful with sleep disturbances. And so there's the cognitive behavioral therapy, and then there's the behavioral therapy, and then there's sleep hygiene. There's a lot that's been described in sleep hygiene. We, want, we don't want to discount that, but perhaps you've tried all those strategies. And if you're living with a diagnosis of cancer, or if, if you have no evidence of disease, but you are still concerned about the reemergence of disease, you may want to speak to a cognitive behavioral therapist or a behavioral therapist because it has been shown to work quite well in conjunction with some of the other strategies that Catherine just mentioned. I think it's cognitive behavioral therapy is extremely powerful, and I wish uh, more women would take advantage of it um, as a strategy for sleep. It is difficult to find therapists these days, especially uh, after COVID, um, but there are people who are trained and um, and who can help you and who can help you ta avoid taking medications. So I, I think that's actually, that would be my number one suggestion um, besides exercise, just because uh, we should all exercise. But um, I, I urge you, if you have insomnia, I urge you to look for cognitive behavioral therapy. And there are a number of different uh, ways in which to access therapists. So there, most of the therapists have become quite expert at doing things virtually. So if you can find a quiet space in your home, shut the door. Some people tell me they do it in the bathroom with fan on whatever floats your boat. But um, all kidding aside, find a quiet space in your home. Your therapist, whether it's a PhD psychologist or whether it's a licensed clinical social worker that can help to guide you, it really has been shown to work. Um, and it may be more effective than using pharmacologic therapy. And although I, my background is in drug development, I am a big proponent of using um, more holistic approaches to addressing some of these uh, problems that we experience. And in particular, um, some of the, the more natural ways in which to address sleep. It's no secret that melatonin has been a product that's been around, it's been around for a very long time. In all of the research that we've done, uh, melatonin is a good place to start. Um, there are a couple of other ingredients that, um, that help us to remain in sleep and to stay asleep. So again, it's worthwhile to investigate one, some of those other um, more natural ingredients to determine whether they help you. But start with um, some of the strategies that Catherine described and then if you have the opportunity um, and the resources to work with a therapist, work with a therapist. For those that are using prescription medications, 
remember to think through the impact of addiction and also the impact the, of withdrawing from those medications. So maybe you, we want to talk a little bit about some of the classes of medications and the the pluses and minuses, if you will. I think in particular of the benzodiazepines because we know that they are frequently prescribed. We also think of the hypnotics that are often prescribed. We're not gonna mention any names, but we'll talk about classes of drugs and just cautionary words. Sure. Um, so the most um, accessible uh, sleep aids are over-the-counter and um, the, the, the drug names are diphenhydramine, um, and it's sold under many different names. It's also used for allergies, and I'm sure most of our listeners and viewers are familiar with that, with that drug, diphenhydramine, even if you don't know it by that name. And it will help you fall asleep, but it is uh, long-term use is associated with dementia. And I always think of it as uh, a drug that makes me stupid. Uh, so during residency, I would get the children's uh, sleep uh, medicine because it was liquid and I had to go to sleep right now and I had to sleep as fast and as hard as I could because I could be called at any time. So we used to drink this stuff and we would we would pass out instantly and um, and then you would get paged and we would just wake up so stupid uh, because we were drugged by this drug, which is, you know, I wonder if it should be taken off the market and it's so freely accessible. So that's an antihistamine that we don't use so much for allergies. It's not like the antihistamines that you're used to that you've heard about for allergies, um, but it does cause dry mouth, constipation, slows your stomach down, and it really does affect your brain. Um, so that's one class. Then there's the prescription classes, uh, which include the benzodiazepines. Um, and um, they will get you asleep. Sometimes they'll keep you asleep, but you can get addicted to them and pretty quickly. And then there's the sedative hypnotics. Um, and you were telling me a story about a friend of yours who crashed her car uh, in the morning and didn't even realize she was um, when she had used this drug the night before and the next morning she took her kids to school. Uh, the one that's most commonly used is um, uh, recommended to be used at a lower dose in women, but this, is, this only came out about 10 years after it was on the market when we realized the, that that dose was too high for women's bodies. But of course the studies were done in men, but women were having more side effects. So these drugs are, um, they can be effective, but then the one thing to think about is, are you really sleeping when you're on them? So think about alcohol. If you drink alcohol and you get sleepy, you pass out, right? So you feel like, oh, alcohol helps me sleep. But in fact, what you are is drugged. You're not sleep, like a sleeping, like you should be, you're just drugged. And then, so why do you wake up at two in the morning? Because the alcohol wore off, the drug wore off, and then all of a sudden you're awake. And so that's why you can feel so rotten after drinking is because you really haven't slept. And um, so uh, <laughs> anything we can do to avoid medication would be great, except for uh, 
uh, an herb like uh, or a substance like melatonin, which has been shown to be safe? So we 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 look at we look at things like uh, melatonin. We look at things like gamma amino butyric acid, which is also now in the form of a supplement. Um, the combination of melatonin and GABA. We look at things like L-theanine, which is found in green tea. And you think, well, this green tea is stimulant. Well, you can't drink enough green tea to help you to get into a more relaxed state. So there are some supplements that contain L-theanine. You might want to consider um, looking at some of what I would call the more natural supplements that can exert uh, some of the beneficial effects without becoming habit forming. And, and that's really the message is that, you know, while these may be good for short-term use, mm -hmm. if you want to stop using any of these sleep medications, it does require you to wean yourself off of them. And sometimes the weaning off process can be pretty hard on your body. So just a cautionary worry, which is not to, to say that this is meant to be medical advice because it's not, even though Dr. Sharif is a board certified internal medicine specialist and she comes with tremendous credentials, she doesn't know you personally. And nothing that you hear on any of the Mia Vita episodes are meant to replace the advice of your medical professional. So just a word of caution, uh, this is informational only. This is so that we can prompt you to think more about taking good care of yourself. And Catherine, um, as we end this podcast, what are some tips, three tips that you want to give women who are living with chronic illness, whether it's the A of autoimmune diseases, disorders, to the breast cancer, to some of the issues surrounding menopause, what are the three tips that you would like to impart to our listeners and viewers? Well, number one, um, I'd like you to make sleep a priority. Um, if, if food is a priority and oxygen is a priority, then you need to look at sleep as just as important as oxygen and water and food. Um, because we can't live without it. Sleep is restorative. The people who sleep the least in life uh, die the youngest. Um, so number one is to make it a priority. And this is not to make anyone feel bad. If you have a newborn, what are you going to do? You're going to get up and take care of the baby. If you have children that wake you up. Uh, so I don't want to shame or blame anyone and their lack of sleep and their irritability or depression, anxiety from not sleeping. I don't want to blame them um, if you have things going on, but that doesn't last for the rest of your life, as we know, and then you need to make sleep uh, a priority. If you're not sleeping, is it because of a lack of sleep hygiene, uh, meaning uh, uh, you're watching TV as opposed to winding down. Uh, you're looking at your phone, uh, which can be stimulating if you're scrolling as opposed to reading a book where you can fall asleep uh, reading a book. So please examine your sleep hygiene. And then number three is I would investigate supplements and cog cognitive behavioral therapy. All good tips for anyone that is looking for opportunities to change their life by improving the way in which they get better sleep. And again, you framed it 
beautifully. It's no different than consuming, you know, the uh, oxygen, eating, having proper hydration. Sleep is at the top of the list. So we'll continue this conversation in subsequent podcasts. There's so much material to cover when it comes to sleep, but this has been, um, again, enjoyable for me because I am one of those individuals that has always suffered from lack of sleep, although I'm working on it too. So I'm a big proponent of trying to get the best rest that you can. And Catherine, as always, it's a pleasure to co-host with you. And I look forward to the next Love Me Evita episode. Uh, we won't share that with our audience. It's a secret, but stay tuned for the next Love Me Evita episode. And until then, remember to take care and love Mia Vita. Oh,